We're loving Jesus. First Sunday of a new year. New message series, Turn Up the Heat. This message, as you uh, make a decision to pay attention, will be challenged by the voice of darkness because as we get into the message, you will come to understand there is a simple thought woven through the whole message, and it has to do with being faithful to church, understanding the value of church, understanding what it means to say, I have a place, and not only do I have a place, I have a place of accountability, and I have a place of responsibility. And so it is in the church. Culture today is anti-church. And I can prove that in numerous ways. I'm going to share with you an article that was recently in the ledger this past Tuesday entitled, uh, The Declining Church. We, we know what that means, the need for why do I show up to worship. It's easy today, particularly in this area of the world, when you have so many wonderful opportunities. Uh, I won't mention them, but there is a mousetrap over in Orlando uh, that, <clears throat> that is very, very popular. And over here, there is a roller coaster near Tampa and we have sports teams and all of that. So it's easy just to, to say, well, what's the value of church? So we're going to talk about that, but bigger than that, as we deal with the message, Turn Up the Heat. Now, Turn Up the Heat is the series that we're going to deal with, for example, a devotional life, just re-identifying some of the things as we start the new year that says, you know what, I need to ramp it up a little bit. I need to pay attention to my priorities I need to pay attention to what I expect out of my family as a spiritual leader for all of you men. So we think about that. So here we go on this journey of uh, turn, up, uh, turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. How many of you know what degree water boils? May I see your hand? You're absolutely right. I'm assuming that most of you uh, don't know because you didn't raise your hand. And, or number two, uh, you're just stubborn and just don't want to participate. Let's see. So only two options there, wouldn't you think? How many of you know that your neighbor knows the answer? How many know that? So just ask them. We all know that water boils at 210 degrees. Well, now, don't we get a little arousing going on out there? Some of you say no. Would you like a multiple choice? Would you like that? It's not going to change the truth of the answer. Water boils at 212 degrees. 211 degrees, it does not boil. Now, if you're preaching, uh, you wanna, the congregation wants you to get to 212 degrees, don't you think? Sure. And that's what I try to do. Matter of fact, I try to ramp it on up, you know, beyond that. So we'll just see what happens. I'm reminded of a preacher that was, he was on the program at a great convention, and um, they, they lined up uh, several preachers to preach during that segment, and they told them that you only have, you only have 20 minutes to do your, your speaking, 20 minutes, so this first several speakers, right on the money, 20 minutes, and then this speaker got up, and um, Behind him were all the other speakers, which were a host of individuals. Place was packed, so the choir loft was filled with many of the speakers, and uh, 
that you couldn't find a seat out in the auditorium at all. And boy, so when a guy would get up to speak, uh, this group right here knew what it was, and they would, you know, amen him. And I mean, just kind of encourage him on. No, you got 20 minutes to do your deal. And so, amen, amen. And you know, go, go, brother, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that guy, the first 20 minutes of his speaking, uh, he, was, uh, he was boiling pretty good, 212 degrees. And he thought, I'm feeling so good. Uh, Fooey on 20 minutes, he went to 30 minutes. And then he thought, wow, and they, they're amen back here. Finally, he went to 45 minutes where well, the amens got a little less because they knew they had to stick to 20, and they didn't want to fuel him anymore because he should have stopped uh, 25 minutes ago. He got to 50 minutes. There are no amens. He got to an hour. There are no amens. He got to an hour and 15 minutes. He got to an hour and a half speaking. And by, by this time, it was just like the people up here were squirming. And some guy on the front row uh, just reached under and got a hymnal. And, buddy, he took that hymnal out, and he stood up, and he threw it right smack at the speaker thought just smack well the speaker's agile like i am and <laughs> you don't want to have to show my moves to you so at any rate he ducked and the guy behind him got hit i mean smack hit him in the head with that hymnal and it was an unbelievable experience and as that guy went down I mean, he literally went down. People could hear around him, hit me again. I can still hear him preaching. <laughs> so we have removed the hymnals from the front area this morning. 212 degrees. 211 degrees, nothing will happen. 210 degrees, nothing will happen. 180, nothing will happen. But when you reach 212 degrees, if you had a science class at all, the properties in that water begin to change. And it's virtually a new creation. It's what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. Christianity was never created to live anything for the purpose of this message, anything below 212 degrees. Christianity was created to boil, to cook, to reach that temperature where the properties, those of us who are the saints and followers of Jesus Christ, that we are never the same because we've hit a basic place in our lives that now we are ready to cook with gas. You got it. Jesus deals with that because there was a group that he was with one particular time, and though they had faith, they were not cooking at 212 degrees, and he said to them, O ye of little faith. Well, you might say, oh, a little faith. The Bible says a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, will in fact, you know, move a mountain with that. But here's what Jesus was saying. If I created you and the test of my love in and through you needs to be at 212 degrees for the purpose of this message, which the properties in you change and you see the world differently, 211 degrees, 180 degrees is not going to work. And this is what he said, O ye of little faith. And when the properties at 212 degrees begin to change, you begin to view the world differently. You become less judgmental and a whole lot more accepting and loving. You begin, your heart functions different. You think differently. 
You look at life differently. You look at heaven differently. And the priorities of your life are different from when you're at 180 degrees and when you reach 212 degrees. Jesus Christ, and the founder of our relationship and the author and finisher of our faith, function out of 212 degrees. He was born of a virgin. I would say that'd be a 212 degree supernatural deal. The clouds parted, the angels began to sing, the stars shifted, and a lot of supernatural stuff began to take place when he showed up. On the day of his baptism, 212 degrees there, started his ministry, and there was a voice from heaven. We believe that it was God, said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It was a supernatural voice. 212 degrees in the beginning of his ministry. He fed the hungry. He healed people. He calmed the raging seas. He, he raised the dead. He functioned in that arena where the supernatural, in fact, could move. And then in Acts 2, we know where the church began. It says we call it the day of Pentecost that suddenly we could hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind and fire began to spread and dance on top of each of them. And so to the degree they thought the room was going to blow apart, it was the power of the Holy Spirit there functioning as we would say 212 degrees. You could hear and sense the supernatural power of God. Now at 212, it begins to boil, your life can be different, and it suggests that there is where you have the power to be involved and see something happen that you've never seen before. And going to church, you say of going to church one hour a week, even a great church, if it only gets you and speaks to you and gets you to 180 degrees, if it only gets you to 200 degrees, if it only gets you to 205 degrees, then roll your sleeves up and say, God, I'm going to be better than 210. I want to reach the 212. And you do that by your participation in worship. Now, is it possible to live what might be considered lukewarm? Well, let's talk about that. It is Revelation 3, verse 15. It said, I know your deeds. There it is. Let's take a look. I know your deeds. So, okay, you're doing something. You are neither what? Nor hot. I wish you were what? One or the other. But because you are lukewarm. How many of you like lukewarm coffee? Uh, how many of you like lukewarm soup? Hello? How many of you like lukewarm baked potato? Sure. Most of us like it to be hot. Are you with me? He says, but listen, I'd rather you be either cold or hot than to be lukewarm. 180 degrees, 140 degrees. You take a thermometer, put it in a roast, and at 140 degrees, it's considered to be warmed. He said, rather than be lukewarm, he said, neither hot nor cold. And notice, I can't believe we're about to use that word in church. I'm about to what? Spit you where? Out of my mouth. So now this subject ramps up to something that says he's not interested in lukewarm. He's not interested in halfway. He's not interested in comfort. He's not interested in lackadaisical. He's not interested in the rhythm of the same old thing. He's interested in saying, hey, in 2018, I want you to give consideration to where you are, and I want you to, in fact, ramp it up. That's when the anointing of God's Holy Spirit falls. 
There are only things that can happen when the church reaches that level or that degree of boiling point. Our faith becomes a priority. When we reach 212, our faith becomes a priority and our aggression toward God becomes contagious. The church becomes valuable and important. My Christian fellowship becomes valuable and important. My view of life, of who God is in my life becomes valuable and important. How do I get there? How do I go from maybe where I am now you might find yourself wanting or a little slack. You say, well, I'm, I'm 200 degrees. I thought that was okay. Not according to that scripture. He says, you need to ramp it up and get to the place where your life is different. And for us to say, not my will, thy will be done. For that to become a reality in our life, we've got to be at the boiling point. And how important, how do I get there? Let me give you a few things. Here they are. Establish your own personal and private devotions. That is, we have many apps that you can take a look at, establish your own personal and private devotions and grow from that and be consistent, get into a rhythm. Here's the second thing, get into the Word of God every single day. Well, I do devotions. What's the difference between getting in the Word? There's a difference in taking a one-page devotional and reading it and saying, got my devotions out of the way. And then there should be a time that you say, okay, I'm going to take a look and I'm going to go through the book of Jonah. I'm going to go through the gospel of Matthew. I'm going to go through and I'm going to rightly divide the word and I'm going to take notes. I want to learn and devour what this word is. How many of you know that's important? But it'll take 212 degrees for you to make the discipline and the commitment to be able to do that. Number three, make church a priority. Just decide this is where we're at on Sunday. On Sunday, this is where we go. Now, do you believe in vacations, pastor? I don't like vacations. You have to work like a dog to get to go, spend more money than you thought you would while you're there, and work like a dog when you get back, and you're tireder than when you left. <laughs> but I'm a type A. Some of you can just float on through life. You know, not me, but do you get, va sure, we understand that. Do you get moments when you're just out for the count? Absolutely. But I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, to say, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to be where we're supposed to be on the Lord's day. Is that all right, everybody? Now, see, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to get more amens out of this group than I am out here. I, I'm getting more amens out of our online audience around the world. How many know how to say Amen. Oh, you ramp me out right up to 212 degrees when you do that. And you know, when you do that, I preach shorter. Some of you never said amen in your life in church, and you just did. Here we go. So we understand, engage yourself. These are things we know. In fellowship with other believers, have a constant connection so that your faith might be encouraged. And here's what we often overlook. Some of us can get along and I don't mean this literally, but some of us can get along without anybody. Somebody said, I don't need anybody. I thought you're going you're to choke on those words before you know it. We all need somebody, don't we? Amen. You married people say amen. <laughs> and you scrape by on that one. But here it is. We may not really need somebody, but somebody needs you. And that's what we overlook. Somebody needs you, someone that looks up to you, somebody that loves you, someone that says, hey, 
in my I count on that person praying for me. We need that. Finally, also realize that you have a divine talent that God created in you, and that's only good when it's manifested through your service in the kingdom of God. So we have a talent. Am I using it for God? How am I doing with that? Many of you know what I'm talking about, and you know, you say, well, I'm just, you know, it takes a lot of sacrifice, you know, to, to be involved in ministry. That's because you've chosen to function at 180 degrees. But that is not pleasing to the Lord. If he created a talent in you, he gifted it to you, and he's not giving you the short end of the stick. He's saying, take that talent and engage it for the building of my kingdom. Any amens out there? Here we go. At the boiling point, here's what happens. We get promptings from God, and the doors begin to open, and we begin to think thoughts. We begin to get creative ideas that only at the boiling point can you enjoy. And you begin to see people differently. You begin to see money differently. You begin to work differently. You are a truly different person. The boiling point in Christianity is that God said it only works when you reach that stage. So here we go. There was an article in the local newspaper, The Ledger, uh, this past Tuesday, and uh, it was declining church attendance harms society. How many of you read that article in the ledger? How many raise your hands? Want to be sure that I don't overlook. Did you take a picture just now over there? You took it. Hi. <laughs> you didn't read the article, but it's there. Here's what it said, only a part of it. If the goal of a good society is to produce people who can take advantage of opportunities for personal and familiar advancement, then the decline in church attendance will only make things worse. You know what he's saying? He's saying that when people step away, now let me give you a little secret, okay? Some of you won't like this at all. When churches started closing doors on Wednesday night, then they started closing doors on Sunday night. Where do you think the next door is going to close? And when this article was written, the Sunday morning church attendance began to decline when the Wednesday night door started closing. Now, I know it makes you uncomfortable, but if we believe that it's important to gather together in fellowship, then it must be important if that is a priority and we believe the church is to be vibrant and the church is the answer to a society that's trying to take us to hell in a handbasket. Then sooner or later, we have to say, average is not enough anymore. We have to say it's going to take more. When I was making a change in one of my pastorates and had the opportunity to, to take a district leadership position, I love pastoring. Sharon loved it. My kids are raised in a pastor's home. Well, when that came, that was a huge opportunity. But I wasn't, I wasn't really in it. I told God, you're, you're just... I understand the opportunity, understand that it's an advancement, 
of leadership opportunities, but I love my church. And I, I told God, somebody, you told God? Yeah. God and I have this one-on-one, you know. He can choose to, how many of you know that your wife might say to you sometimes, I told you. You get to choose whether you listened or not, and most of the time you don't. Y'all with me? I'm talking to some of you specifically. So I told God, I I need to hear from you. This is a big deal. I need to hear from you. You know what the Holy Spirit told me? Then make a sacrifice. You're going to have to start getting up at 4.30 in the morning instead of 5.30. And I want you to go in the living room. Is that, is, that a, is that kind of room still exist today, living room, den, whatever you want to call it? There was a chair in there that Sharon let me sit in. <laughs> and from 4.30 to 5.30, I sat there. All right, God, here I am. Speak to me. This was six weeks before, or about five weeks before I had to make the decision. So I came to the conclusion that if I want to hear out of the ordinary, I'm going to be willing to do something out of the ordinary. That's why we fast and pray in a special time. I sat there the whole time. Only thing I did was fight going back to sleep. I took my Bible out. I remember the words began to blur. I began to bleak. The Lord Jesus Let me move over to Lamentations. Maybe that'll encourage me, you know. Well, let me me move over here to Esther. Maybe that'll help me, you know, or something of that nature. Uh, Let me move to Daniel. I remember all that, but I was diligent. Now, I didn't want to step back. I wanted to step up, and it was then Toward the end, the last couple days, that the Lord showed up in the middle of the night and stood at the end of my bed and told me three things that would happen. I could see it. I wasn't awake. I wasn't asleep. I was truly in a vision. And he told me three things. That was on Friday night, early Saturday morning. Within two hours on Saturday morning, two of those things miraculously happened. Just like that. The next day, the third thing happened miraculously. The point that I'm endeavoring to make to you is if we're going to see things that we read in the Scripture that comes as a result of living at 212 degrees, We can't be backing up away from. We have to begin stepping in to and say, God, I do not want to forsake those things that are important to my family spiritually. Y'all still with me, right? So one of those, here we go, is church. Why don't we gather together? We ought to gather church every week because our leader did. That would be Jesus. Luke 4, 16, on the Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his custom. 
If you wanted to know where Jesus was on the Sabbath, Sabbath, where do you think he was? In the synagogue, somewhere in the synagogue. We call it Sunday church. If somebody says, well, they're not home this morning, they must be at church. Hello? See, the point is, as was his custom. If we're going to function as a family and we're going to function as a church, we have to make the commitment of 212 degrees, which creates the boiling, and that if it's important to Jesus to have that rhythm every single week, it ought to be important to us. Number two, other writers in Scripture instruct us to do so. Exodus 20, verse number eight, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's amazing how many of you know that we have 11 commandments that God gave us? Okay, we'll do multiple choice. How many say nine? How many say 10? Thank you. Thought you'd gone to sleep, need a little exercise at that moment. There are 10. So, number four is important. Before thou shalt not kill, I think that ought to be right up at the top, but thou shalt not kill. Anybody out there wanting to kill somebody anytime? <laughs> Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, that's a pretty good one. That ought to be right on up top. Thou sh- you shouldn't steal. That's why you pay more in the stores today because they have to jack the prices up to cover the losses of people that steal. You shouldn't lie. That's important. You shouldn't covet. Before all of that, here's what he says. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Do you know why? He said, if you are where you're supposed to be on the Sabbath and you're in your devotions and you're studying the Bible, the other things you won't have to worry about because you'll be boiling at 212 degrees and you won't get below that. You'll be cooking with gas and the properties of your life will change and God will be your number one priority if you do what God says when he says it. Amen? Put your hands together and let's thank him for that. God is saying it's no surprise. He said that one day is is not yours, it belongs to God. This day, the day that we call the first day of the week, It's when we gather in church to enjoy. It's not mine. It's not yours. It belongs to God. And then Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That was in the key text. Don't forget to bring yourself together. But pastor, my Lord, have mercy. The culture that we live in, work so hard, run here, run there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I tell the worship team? Don't be out on Saturday night at midnight. Don't expect to come up here on this platform and drag your old tired body out of a late night sleep and come up here and expect to lead worship and cause a crowd to get engaged in worship when your body is half dead. When you come on this platform, you come with the best you've got, rested up and ready to go up to be anointed by God. God shouldn't have to resurrect you when you're standing up here. How are we doing? Here we go. You see, it's important. You see, he says, be careful. Don't forsake the assembling yourself together. Why? He says, as some people are doing. In other words, there's a group that's trying to function at 180, 160, 140. Don't fall into that trap. I've had individuals because church is important. Say amen. 
I run into individuals and I say, I haven't seen you in church lately. You know, it's like, I haven't seen you. I haven't seen where you're usually seated. And then I watch you maybe move on toward the back. or Maybe slip into other ears of the church. You cannot hide from me, friend. And guess what? I ought to be able to look out and see you where you're supposed to be. Where have you been? Well, Pastor, we, we left Victory six months ago. Oh, okay, well, that's where, where are you at? You might say, well, well, if they said they left Victory, you're not their pastor anymore. You're not going to get rid of me that easy. I'm going to say, well, where are you at? You didn't come in and sit down with your pastor and say, we're leaving. Here's why we're leaving. You didn't do that, so until you do that, I'm still your pastor. Well, we left and went to so-and-so church. Oh, I know that pastor. He's a great guy. If they say we left and we've gone to that church, I said, yeah, I'm trying to think of the pastor's name. Surely you know what his name is. You're going there now, right? Well, they changed two years ago. Well, you've only been gone six months. This, these are real conversations. Well, they go in there regularly, loving Jesus, engaged in the church. Well, pastor, we just not going anymore. Right? Really? not going anymore well don't forsake the assembling yourselves together remember the Sabbath keep it holy you have kids though you have small kids what, what are you saying to the kids How many understand the point? Yes, amen. Because the devil's desire and culture will accommodate you and me. Because your human nature will find it easy to get out of the rhythm. And when you get out of the rhythm to restart the rhythm, it's harder than it was to begin with. So this is a valuable subject. I haven't noticed you. Here you are. And I've had that just the other day, speaking to someone, and they're here today. So God bless you. Thank you for making your mind up. You see, the real question is, is what tempted you? What is it that tempts you to stop coming to church? It doesn't just, I'm not coming anymore. Some of you might do that after this message. I'm tired of that man speaking like that. I don't like it a little bit. <laughs> I'd rather you get a hymn and throw it at me. I can duck it. But it's good news. What tempted you? What did the devil use that caused you to decide to leave the holy place of God of worship? As you understand, once you take a pot and take it off the burner and put it aside, 
it doesn't take long. And you know what happens? When that happens to people, it's like carrying around a 50-pound bag of cement powder on your shoulders. You know what you ought to be doing, but you don't do it, and you continue to accommodate the carnal nature of oneself. And what we need to do is lay that bag of concrete down at the feet of Jesus and say, I am sorry. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm turning up the gas from 180 all the way up to 212 and cook there. You see, it's important. Here's number three. God often chooses in corporate gatherings to communicate to us in a supernatural way. A little illustration. Someone said to me just recently, as a matter of fact, as you listen to me preach, you'll hear me say often, someone said to me recently, and they do because I'm out among the people, Pastor, I was wrestling with a real problem my church attendance and my faithfulness to God had been tepid, and, and I, I decided to go to church on Sunday night and wrestling with the problem. I was discouraged. I fought coming, but I had to go. But when I got here and I heard you speak and I heard the Word of God, the Holy Spirit gripped my heart and shook me, and God healed me. And replace my misery with a song. I'm so thankful to God that I went to church on that Sunday night. I'm here to tell you, he will speak to us individually. And how beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? One more story recently. Pastor Blackburn, about a month ago, my plan was to commit suicide on Monday. I had it all together. I had the plan. I went to church thinking this will be my last service. I went to God when the altar call was given. I don't know what happened. I don't remember anything from the time I got up until I got down in the altar and someone was praying for me. But I felt a mighty anointing that I hadn't felt in a long, long time. And God delivered me and took me out of my mental prison and healed me. And now it's been a month. And the thought and the desire of suicide left me and I've been free and clean by the grace of God ever since. Amen? By the grace of God ever since. So listen, friend. I just want to be, I want us to be online, on target, in the place that we need to be because the devil never stops. The unbelieving culture out there that will believe all the lies function at 212 degrees all the time. They don't back up. They don't leave. They don't get away. If it's something they believe in that will crush Christianity or make mockery of what we believe as it relates to abortion or going to church or tithing or witnessing or anything of that nature, they will stand by that and they will not quit. Here we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have the move of Pentecost and God says, 
process, I want you to get out of the 180 degree. I want you to pump it up to 212. And when that happens, the chemistry and the properties of that water change and an anointing will fall on you and you'll begin to see bondage broken. You'll begin to see miracles. You'll begin to see the supernatural power of my word functioning in you because you've decided there's only one way and that's 100% inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's another. You encourage and inspire other Christ followers by your presence. I said that a moment ago. You don't know the kind of influence you have. You think your influence is not important, but it is. You think your presence is not important. But if there are individuals who've started coming to church or they're new believers, and maybe you're the one and the reason that initially gave them an opportunity to come, you know what they're going to do? They're going to think you know everything. They're going to think that whatever you do must be the right way. And you know what, new believers? New believers have not sold out on the fact, I just get to come once a week. You know what new believers want? They want everything they can get a hold of. Are, are you all with me? You know that to be the truth. They want everything they can get a hold of. Wouldn't it be a shame if they're outrunning you? You're functioning at 180 and they're at 250. And they look around and say, wow, where are they at? Where are they at? The point is, we cannot afford to be sporadic in our commitment. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Won't you tell your heart to go into AFib? Just tell your heart to go into AFib. See how you like that. You'll walk around in fear and trembling, wondering when is it going to just stop. Everything that God has was given to us by the power of rhythm. Rhythm, that's important. And then here is number five. When you've established a pattern in your testimony of faithfulness to church and to God's work, you establish a legacy for your children. You parents, you be careful how you serve God. You be careful that they know what the priorities of your family are. And don't give up. And don't change because of culture. Amen. At 212 degrees, you do the right thing. 212 degrees, you're committed 100%. 212 degrees, you're able to say, Satan, get behind me. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And you mean it, and you stand by it. At 212 degrees, you pray, and it shakes all of heaven. 212 degrees, your kids need to know, hey, this is what we do. We have family devotions. We actually have family devotions. We actually have, when church is open, our kids know Sunday morning, we're there. Our kids understand it. Our kids understand the fact that we don't use curse words and slang all the time and then come into the church and, and sing holy worship songs. Our kids see in our lifestyle a life that is dedicated at 212 degrees to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our kids understand those priorities. You say, well, I, I thought it would be good if you let the kids decide. Forget it, friend. God never intended for kids to parent parents. He said, parents, parent your kids. Understand when they don't understand, you show them the way and say, this is the way. Well, when do you stop doing it? You don't. Amen. 
you keep making the declaration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And once you get out of rhythm, it's easier to get further out of rhythm than it is to stay committed and say, this is what is important. And the legacy, I, I have a list of things I want on my headstone. A list of things. Now, the closer to death that I get, I'm going to narrow it down. Right now, I have about 100. <laughs> Tithing will be on there, just so you know. But the legacy that I leave behind will not be a perfect life. But the legacy that I leave behind, the Lord willing, will be a, a line of faithfulness. I said to the Southeastern University commencement exercise two or three weeks ago to all of those students, I stayed faithful when my friends who were born in pastor's homes, when they quit and they gave up, I stayed with it. I stayed with it when there was one. I stayed with it when I got in trouble. I stayed with it whether I received accolades or not because my calling came from the one who said, don't give up. Stick with it. I'm asking you as our church community, our family, don't give up. Don't decide on the minimum. Decide on what is of real value. So here it is. What temperature is your spiritual life today? Don't have to, it's not an intimidating question. Is it 212? And then here's the second question of redemption. Where do you want it to be? I encourage you, don't settle for anything less than 212 degrees. Otherwise, the most miserable person in the world is a Christian who's chosen to function less than the boiling point. Because you pray and your prayers aren't answered. And you give and you don't get all the favor. Do you know why? God's looking. God's looking for people who understand his message and are willing to give their life for the message. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the abundance of your grace and your care. I thank you for the greatest congregation in the world. Today they heard a message that could be 212 degrees. But we're looking for more. We want to see more souls saved in 2018 than we ever did. We want to see more lives changed. We want to see families that don't break up. They stay together. We want to see men step to the plate and be spiritual leaders. We want to see women who understand the place of what it means to be a helpmeet. We want young couples to understand the value of family and the value of family is birthed in their faithfulness to church first. We want their kids to know how to pray. We want their kids to understand right from wrong and see a consistent pattern from their parents of what right and wrong is. 
We want by the grace of God to see the families, God, dedicated to the cause of Jesus. We do not want to get sidetracked. And God, we want to have individuals who have faith enough that when their faith is tested over a pretty long season of time, they don't become weary in well-doing. They don't give up and they don't take a step back. They increase their fasting. They increase their prayer. They increase their faithfulness because the more increase that they have touches the heart of God to bring a resolve that pleases him. So God, we cannot be shaken. We refuse to let our world be rocked. And in 2018, we're coming for everything you have. All those things you have stored up for us, we're claiming them. Just in case there are those of you here and you said, when I said, what temperature is your spiritual life? You realized I'm not where I should be. Matter of fact, you might be running from God. You might have fallen into a comfort zone. God never intended for you and to me as it relates to spiritual issues to be comfortable. He just didn't. You just won't see those things in the Bible. So God, we want everything you have. And maybe you're here this morning, you think, well, I was about to make decisions that would not bring glory and honor to God. Maybe you're thinking about walking away from your family. Well, let me encourage you, stick with it. Some way or another, God will give you strength and he'll make a way where there is no way. And it won't be some phantom thing that just comes by. It'll be because you understand the disciplines of what it takes to get your prayers answered. So guide us. So all of us, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me right now. Would you do this? Let's everyone please participate. Dear Jesus, I have sinned. I've made mistakes. I have faltered. And I need your help. So I believe by faith. If I confess my sin, I confess my wrongdoing. I confess my apathy. I confess my pride. You will forgive me and restore me and allow me to be where you desire for me to be. I commit myself. I will not get weary. I will trust you. Lord Jesus, the battles that I'm fighting right now, I'm turning them to you. I will not fight them alone, but I will allow you to fight for me. My trust is in you. So take my heart and take my life and use it the way you choose. In Jesus' name, amen. The beautiful thing is the altar is important. I hear the argument of people saying, well, the altar is wherever you make it. The altar is mentioned all through Scripture. I did an article for the Assemblies of God not long ago about the value of the altar. The value of a designated place. In today's vernacular, they may call it the war room. But there's just something about taking a step of faith and humbling yourself and getting in the altar. And if you prayed a prayer a minute ago and you feel like, 
I need to get in that altar. Or maybe you're ill in your body. You know what James says? James 5, come on down. Let us anoint you with oil. Let's pray the prayer of faith. Maybe you have. This is big on my heart. My heart's heavy right here on this one. Maybe you got a son or daughter. And the devil's made you believe that it's near impossible they're ever going to come home. In the name of Jesus, I say to you, under the authority of the anointing, they will come back home. They won't be the same when they get back. Because of the bruises and the slaps that they receive. But when they come back, they will lock down what they believe in Jesus. Because the seeds that were planted could not be denied nor destroyed by the lies of the enemy. And if you need to slip down and say, I'm claiming that for myself, Pastor. Right now you come. I'll give the benediction in a moment. Let's respond together, shall we? Here we go.